This is The Hill, talking rugby league with Sam Perry and Tim Sparks. Hello and welcome to the revamped, revitalised, remastered, off-Broadway production many are calling The Hill. We've got a hell of a show for you tonight, or wherever it is that you listen to your streamed audio, whatever time it is, wherever you are in the world. First, League's back, baby. It's confirmed, apparently, as it has been for weeks. There's been government reports, though none of it's public. Anyway, save your best punches for the end, because managing a pandemic is boxing, apparently. With state-of-the-art biosecurity to ensure absolutely every protocol is observed, overseen by our heroic, innovative, courageous, bold, slicked-back saviour of the great game that was on its knees until he came along, Mr. Peter Vlandis, Rugby League, a.k.a. Vlandis, has evidently created an environment, a metaphorical biodome, so controlled that absolutely nothing can penetrate it. Barring mob up on country with guns and Nathan Cleary thrusting on TikTok with multiple women, among other alleged things, all in the space of 10 minutes. You cannot and will not ever convince me that a league player in his 20s with four other women or six other women, whatever it was, in his house was not doing other alleged things. Anyway, we have now we now have the conditions to play what German football ultras are calling ghost games behind closed doors with no fans that without doubt will become more boring mere weeks after the novelty of it wears off and the whole thing remains a collective effort from industry of whom the media is shamefully complicit to consolidate their remuneration from the game in what is probably a deeply insulting affront to public health advice and the safety of society as a whole. Still, league's back, baby. On the show later tonight to lend some actual research and knowledge to these open-shut black-and-white issues of the NRL return and its associated boxes to tick is Sydney Morning Herald sports journalist, Queensland apologist and all-round normal person, Phil Lutton. We look forward to talking to him later. But before that, with me to burst through the streamers of everything rugby league-related is my long-standing compadre, Tim Sparks, who has assembled a mighty ensemble of Who Would You Rather Bees, Are You Interested?, a decidedly vanilla Tiger Corner because it was his choice this week, and an even more juvenile What Could Have Been, which this week sees the 2016 Cronulla Sharks who are premiers, take on a combined Balmain and West side from 1991, a season in which West finished 5th, Balmain finished 12th, and Jason Sinclair selected at 5'8", ahead of three internationals despite playing two matches that season, none of them in that position. I don't need to tell you who Sparks thinks wins that match. Tim, welcome. So much to get through. Public health advice and moral responsibility aside, you've been following Vlandi's uh, pronouncements and the media's reaction. How good will it be to have Ghost League games back, Tim? Sam, listeners, everyone, hello. Well, according to Volandis and co, um, it's party time, as was reported in some of the papers uh, for the league being back. It's a landmark moment in the game and I think in global sport as well. So as a league fan, I mean, you can only get behind it. They've saved the game. Simple as that, isn't it? So we're told, mate. Yeah, so we're told. Mm. Mm. It really, it really is one-sided reporting, isn't it? But that's good because league's back, and that, that's that's really all that matters. Sparks, um, a, a, apart from Vanuatu T10 cricket league, it would appear is going to be pretty much the first sport back in the world. Now, this can only mean that it's the best organised sport, the most innovative sport, and obviously has the best biosecurity measures. And basically, if you say biosecurity enough times, people will start to think, "Well, these guys, this mob really has their act together." Yeah. Yep, absolutely. That seems to be the uh, the long and the short of it. I mean, the game's back. You know, they still haven't announced the draw. Uh, you know, um, they don't know exactly where the grand final will be played, but it'll be it will be played and it'll be done. So you've got to have faith in them, I guess, don't you? 
Mm. Sparks, why do you think um, the AFL, which many people with with half a brain these days understands, is a wealthier game um, and perhaps a more superior game in terms of its administration, in terms of maybe the sophistication of its administration? Why is the AFL taken a completely different approach and not been speaking about these things? Do you think? What, what, how have these two codes, which essentially, you know, grasp the hearts and minds of Australians, doesn't matter what sort of state you're in, we're all sort of Aussies, we all love our sport. Mm. We can agree on that, can't we? Yes, that we can um, agree on. How can two sports diverge so greatly in the way that they have gone about getting themselves back on the park for these, as German ultras call them, ghost games it's a good question i guess one answer could be that i guess afl realize that the priority is not spreading the virus and you know understanding that it's a pandemic and that's the priority at the moment Mm -hmm. so maybe sport can just get put on the back burner just for now not forever that could be one reason Uh, i don't know maybe the other one i guess is it something to do with trying to develop trust or I guess yeah maybe trust is the word with the community like rugby league you know everyone's getting behind Volandis going oh it's just great to have some leadership and you know we trust this bloke and I'd I'd go into war with him and if anyone should be in charge of the game right now it's him and that's the way league has decided to speak to its constituents i guess or stakeholders mm. that's the that's the better word to use isn't it uh, stakeholder stakeholders, these days if you want to be take if you want to be taken seriously that's right. you don't have friends you don't have family you no. don't have people that you know no. you have stakeholders no, that's right. you know, i've just come from a stakeholder engagement opportunity yeah. otherwise known as dinner with my mother-in-law and my wife <laughs> right. and my son that's right exactly and and i wouldn't say all stakeholders <laughs> left that engagement um <laughs> with increased uh, connection to my uh, venture and my organisation necessarily, and yeah. I'll, I'll come back yeah. to the roadmap, uh, our right. roadmap there. That's right. But you stayed um, connected nonetheless, right? You, you, you're connected, <laughs> and that's the main thing. So Volandis well, part of my content plan. Well, that's good. So Volandis Sorry. is connecting. No, no, that's okay. Volandis is connecting with his, you know, stakeholders in that way, and maybe the AFL has decided that a better way to to sort of gain trust of the community, uh, stakeholders. Mm. Sorry, stakeholders. You love these. Uh, is to respect the Premier's wishes, which mm. is to, to stay inside, self-isolate, and, and, and conti- continue not doing anything essential until I think it's May 11. And maybe it's just a different way of, of, of gaining that trust of the fans, stakeholders, um, mm. yeah, through, through, through a different mean. You know, that's maybe one one way to look at it. I guess the other other things people would say, I guess, about AFL is that, you know, they have a truly national game. They've got, you know, where states are all operating on slightly different degrees of regulation as far as uh, self-isolation goes. But I think that gets scratched out when you throw in the fact that NRL has another country involved, albeit New Zealand, but still another country. Uh, so I guess there's a, there's a couple of things. The AFL are talking about relocating and going to Darwin or something like that, I think. So Absolutely. It's not, We're going to get completely to that. This table. is not an AFL show. No, but you did ask me, show. and um, I'm just Absolutely. trying to answer. Oh, I'm saying, I'm saying it to both of us. Yeah, so sure, sure, sure. Please, yeah. Uh, we're all a bit testy in this time. No, no, fair enough, yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of testy, a couple of players in hot water 
mate. Mm. Um, some of them more testy than others. Uh, if, if the latest reports of Nathan Cleary to be uh, believed, yes. um, or I guess interrogated. But um, let, let me let me set the scene. I mean, everyone's gonna be talking about this because there's such a dearth of things to talk about in relation to like current rugby league news. Other than you know, the two things going on in rugby league at the moment. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is um, you know, a couple of players are in trouble um, for for you know not respecting law. <laughs> And um, the other the other story, which is pretty much just pumped out every day, is that like, geez, and Peter Vland, he's great. So let's go with the players one. Um, Latrell Mitchell, Josh Adokar, they're posting photos of riding bikes and shooting guns, uh, you know, at Latrell's place up on country. Um, now, just just to like you know, sort of get under the hood of the of uh, of the hill here. When we spoke about this on the phone sparks earlier today I was just driving in the car like you actually seemed really deflated when I brought this up you saw like oh, I don't really want to, I don't really want to talk about it that much you just kind of just felt really flat with the whole thing so let's just talk about Latrell and Josh Adokar first why'd you feel deflated about this situation so for those you know I don't know how you'd be listening to the hill and not know what's going on in relation to this but if you are basically Latrell and Josh Adokar were shooting guns and riding around with their mates um clearly like um in contravention of social isolation social distancing laws it's being investigated by police they've been fined heavily both 50k i think both have issued uh, apologies via instagram that again people have still you know critiqued and now there's this big question about you know whether they were fined enough and um you know whether they've brought their entire game into disrepute tim yeah well i guess it's it's good to remember that i think 60 percent of that fine is suspended so which is the same for the other guys as well so i think that's where some people are getting their backups about if they got fine enough but why was i hesitant to want to talk about it? you know i guess they they both um i guess so well they they suggested that part of it was sort of getting back to culture as far as indigenous guys were and being you know, in the country and on the land was sort of part of, you know, helping their family out. And I guess as soon as that happens and it's Indigenous players, in my opinion, social media in particular and the conversation around this sort of stuff gets pretty ugly and there's not a whole lot of listening or perspective taken into account. And despite the fact that I think these guys have done the wrong thing, there's no doubt about that, I just find that stuff with the, I guess, the racism very difficult to listen to. And also, it's complex, so it's difficult to sometimes want to get involved in, I guess, other than... Leaves you a bit flat. Yeah, and it's just, I guess, other than just try and listen, I guess, to other Indigenous voices in the community and try and get an understanding of, I guess, why why it is culturally significant to them to do that, whether or not it is, and mm. then just how much shit they cop anyway um, yeah. for being Indigenous guys that I don't blame them for getting their back up a little bit for having to put an apology out to, you know, probably 60% of people that just fucking troll them anyway. Do you know what I mean? So mm. that that leaves yeah. me a little uneasy, you know. it's, it's Yeah. Yeah. Sort of reinforces the cycle a little bit as well. You can see why blokes would already be, um, may already be a bit, uh, <laughs> I don't guess, um, reluctant to like observe the rules that everybody else is observing. 
maybe culturally, maybe from a societal perspective, maybe because they're NRL players or whatever. That's not an excuse for them in any way. I definitely think they've done the wrong thing. And I think from a society perspective, it's um, definitely the wrong thing to do. But then when you see the reaction to it, you know, be predictably disproportionate, you wonder why it is. Mm. All it does is serve to reinforce stereotypes and it reinforces the trench warfare of it. The whole I, I can see why you get flat and why, and why it seems ugly as well and why you feel like the entire thing will leave probably... Adokar and Mitchell with a sour taste in their mouth and um, and then the people who hate them with a sour taste in their mouth as well, which is probably what they've been looking for, you know. I mean, particularly when it comes to Latrell Mitchell, you just feel like at the moment in the current climate, you know, people are just out for him. Yeah. People just want people just want to get him and they want to get him for anything, you know, at the moment. Um, anyway, just people... people um, I, th- I, think that, I think there's been an overreaction to it. They've done the wrong thing. I don't know. Yeah, get them fined, but like, don't you know? Get a life as well, <laughs> you know. Yeah, if you can play or you can't play, whatever. Um, all right, let's move on to Nathan Cleary as well, which I presume you're even more angry about. Um, Nathan Cleary uh, has um, there's been some social media posts of him, um, not from him, which is important, but uh, he's been he's, he was at home with half a dozen birds. Um, <laughs> says says. Uh, Oh, they, were, they just came over. Oh, they, were just, they just they just came over. They were, they were on their way. They were just getting an Uber and happened to come into my house. And um, what the fuck's that? Oh. And then um, and uh, oh, okay, open shut, no dramas. Oh no, a couple more, a couple of TikTok videos have come out yeah. dancing or something. They're draped all over him. It's fantastic. I love the whole thing. I think it's fantastic. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's. I don't know. I mean, what do you what do you, what do you what do you make of that one, Tim? Oh uh, well, I mean the fact that that that's something that he gets up to as a as a young single bloke. Good luck to him. Well, not really. Like on social, hang on, hang like, on. You shouldn't be doing that, Nathan. You shouldn't be doing that. Well, as far as social distancing and that goes, I guess in in this current climate, he shouldn't be doing this. Um, otherwise, you know, whatever. Uh, it was. I guess it was interesting that he just. As far as his, I guess, uh, public appearance or apology went, he just went down the, the old-fashioned, uh, you know, 3D response, deny, 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 uh, mm. which, you know, is tried and tested. And, you know, I'd be, it'd be very, mm. very uh, hypocritical of me to um, have a crack at someone for, you know, executing the, the 3D response. Three days, yeah. You know, because you know, yeah, as One as we say, it's, 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 it's well, <laughs> you know. But I mean, I just, and I guess that's with all these three guys. Like, why don't, why couldn't they all of them just come out and go, "Yep, yeah, stuffed up, shouldn't have done it, sorry," I'll cop it on the chin. You know, mm. like Cleary's just denied it, which is so obviously a lie. It was so obviously a lie even before the TikTok videos came out. Like, anyone knew that. Um, and, you know, whether Adokar and Latrell Mitchell, what their reasons were behind it, I don't know. But why not just come out and say, yep, sorry, stuffed up, won't do it again? That's a genuine question. Like, why does it, why does it have to come with, I guess, an excuse or, yeah, an excuse? Oh, it's, it's in this society, this culture, mate, you, don't, you can't be wrong. You can't be seen. To, that, that, that's weak. Mm. To be wrong is to, to be wrong is to be weak and mm. to be diminished. 
and your wealth creation value goes down as a result. Simple as you know, that. You know that. I know that. Yeah. You're the best exponent of the three Ds. You should be the first person to understand why they do it. <laughs> I think now well. it's something we might be able to ask Phil Lutton, who's coming on the show soon. But we have a little bit more to get through before we get to Phil, who is actually across his beat. Um, Going to read a tweet out to you, Tim. Okay. Um, to all of you NRL players, you might consider me an old has-been, but you have the opportunity to get back to playing the game you love, which in turn will bring a lot of happiness to many people. Do the right thing. Stop the selfishness. Regards, an old tiger. Hashtag NRL. Hashtag COVID-19. That was published a couple of hours ago, Tim. Now, I don't know if you've seen it, but who's your guess? Haven't se- I it? genuinely haven't seen it. Uh, do you play fullback? Yeah. Do you feature in my 1991 West Tigers side? He did. Son play for the Swans? He did. Gary Jack for the $25 on the sale of the century thing or whatever it was. Um, yeah. I think he should have replaced the game you love with the game I love if he was writing that in first person. Okay, we, okay, I wasn't really asking for a grammatical analysis, but, like, do you share the same view, Sparks, that, like, those players that are expressing... Look, players have come out, and I'm going to speak generally about what Rugby League and the AFL are doing here because both codes are in a similar boat. They're sort of making a few waves and saying, hey, look, I just have a few reservations about... I'm going to just generalise here, but mm. I have a few reservations about going into a hub, going into camp for five months... Um, doing nothing other than, you know, training, playing and um, essential shopping. I have no contact um, by agreement, by contract now um, with family and friends. And some of the players are saying, those those are difficult circumstances for me. Um, they're difficult circumstances in the sense that I might be making life very, very difficult for people that I'm close to. I might be making life very, very difficult for myself and people have mentioned a mental health level. Now, many of those players, I mean, if I, if I scour social media, and I do, mm. um, they're being, th- they're being um, I guess, uh, portrayed, illustrated as being selfish for doing so. Many are saying, jeez, um, you know, tennis players do this. Mm. Young players have to go away and play football in Europe when they're 18, away from their family and friends. If you really love the game... You wouldn't be so selfish and you'd do what our soldiers did, mm. you know, what the Anzacs did, and they'd go to war for their code to keep it alive. Thoughts? Yeah, hate the war analogies. That's the first thing. I mean, and I know they weren't your analogies. Like, there are other people's. I, I despise the war and sport analogy because uh, it couldn't even be anywhere close to the same thing. Uh Look, when, when I was picking up Gary Jack on saying that the game, when he's saying that they could oh, go back and play... You're the... about to tell a story about picking up Gary Jack in your car or something? No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, leave that for another time. Um, mm. When he's saying that they can go back and play the game that they love, like I, I genuinely meant it. Like, who's to say that they love it the same way he does? And players now, aren't they taught that this game's their job? It's a profession. So it's... For some of them, maybe it's not necessarily a game because of the way that the game is now being designed in the sense that it's a job for them. So when 
league, you know, is supposedly, you know, on the on its knees and it's up to these guys to save them, maybe they just generally don't care that much. They don't feel that the scrutiny that they've been under by the media, by social media, by whoever, by people in the street, by the fans, that they even care. And that was something that I actually maybe thought with Adokara and Mitchell, because the thing was, why would you put that on social media? Like, I don't, I don't think <laughs> anyone... It almost felt like it was a statement in some ways. I don't know if it was. And that is just genuinely an interpretation of mine. But, I, you know, was, I think... <laughs> You know, I, I, I just think that's a very interesting, you know, point in what Gary Jack as a former player uh, has said compared to, to players of today. Like, you know, I've been watching this um, documentary on the Dallas Cowboys. I forget the, the title of it. It's the same guys that did the Manchester City and the All Blacks thing uh, on Amazon. And it's, you know, it's about eight or nine episodes long. To be fair, I don't think it's that good. But one thing that I do notice is they just have meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. And it is worth watching the show just to see the players' expressions when they're either in... Facial expressions when they're either in a meeting or watching video. I've never seen guys (laughs) so less engaged and more bored with something (laughs) in their lives. You know, and... Yet, you know, it's the game that they love and they've got to go and play it. Well, if, you, if you've turned it into something so clinical and so robotic as to what professional sport has turned these football codes into, you can understand why maybe the players actually don't care that much. Yeah, but when you get better at the sport, so, I mean, on the, on the flip side, Sparks, you know, if you do the extras, get better at the sport, become more athletic, harder, better, faster, stronger, Daft Punk you know, then you create a better product and that's more bums on seats, you know, more um, peripheral fans come in, bigger crowds, bigger TV audiences, they're more money into the game and then that more money there can then go into the coffers of clubs who can, um, you know, then bring more people through and then you have enough money to get a really good um, band to play at the grand final, mm-hmm. you know, or you, you start to get into that, that realm of going from, say, you know, Meatloaf to Birds of Tokyo, you know, for State of oh, Origin. Okay. You know what I mean? And when you start doing that, you're creating a really good, real good TV product. A couple of administrators around the code can start to buy houses mm. with that. Mm. Kids get to go to better schools as a result of that. Um, and players are merely, you know, just pawns on the chessboard to be manoeuvred around to grow the pie sparks. You mm. know, we're in a pandemic that's taught us that perhaps we've overleveraged our entire global society. Mm. But even so, the question is, how do you grow the fucking pie, Tim? Yeah, life is about growing the pie. Well, how do you how do you how do you keep the pie? You know what I mean? That they they've probably grown mm. it, but they ate it pretty quick. And what does too, the pie like, taste like? You know exactly. You know, and and who gets to eat it is the other thing. You know, what is it? Is it just at the at the big boys' table? You know, and we get to fight over a couple of scraps, or do you ever get to taste it? You know, I don't know. If, do you reckon you've ever eaten the pie? I'm not sure if I have. You know. Oh, you would, wouldn't dare eat the pie. I just want to make it bigger. Yeah. Take a couple, couple, nib, couple nibbles when I need to, and I'll only take those nibbles if it's going to grow it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, in, in, in investment and expenditure rises for growth. Mm. You understand that? That's how a pie works, a 4 and 20 pie. That yes. Is, oh, you're thinking 4 and 20. 
Let's go to um, sweet pies when people talk about pie. Like I go to apple pie or something like that. I don't know why. I just no, that's weird. Which is funny. Oh, don't say that. It's funny because I'm not even a sweet tooth either by and large. You know, don't really eat dessert that much. But as soon as you start talking about pies, I go... And you're right, it is an American thing. I've watched too much TV in my time. That's beside the Wonderful. point. That's beside the point, though, isn't it? Or do you, do you want to tell me what pies you go to? Well, no, I think it's a wonderful finish because perhaps we are too influenced by America and look at how they're going with respect to our American listeners. Well. Uh, so with that in mind, let's move on to who would you rather be. In a wonderful suggestion this week, Sparks, mm. who, was our, who, was our, who was our suggester this week? For who would you rather be? It was Andrew Barry. Andrew Barry's came in with a really good one. Andrew Barry. Thank you, Andrew, for the wonderful suggestion. He's got um, in touch. Which I have the the privilege by way of tradition um, of reading out. Mm. Um, If that's okay, we haven't really discussed that off air, Sparks. But um, it's a wonderful suggestion. One I'm surprised we haven't actually covered in the many seasons of The Hill, which we've since deleted um, Mm. for probably pretty good good reasons, for pie reasons, actually, for Grow the Pie reasons. Oh, yes. Oh yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, we cut, we cut that, uh, we cut those losses. Tim, without further ado, uh, Andrew Barry suggested it's such a great suggestion, right in the wheelhouse. Who would you rather be, Brad Mackay or Graham Mackay? Yeah, look, great, brilliant, love it, love it. I mean, you know, you couldn't two two players couldn't personify the show better uh, than mm. Graham Mackay and Brad Mackay. Mm. I needed, a- and I want to go Brad then Graham because it's alphabetical order. Okay, so am I just? Are you asking me who I'd rather be, and I'm going to answer you, or what are we doing? Is that? that... Do have a, let's, why don't we have a walk through both players and and then? Um, All right, we'll, let's we'll do it. Verdicts. So we're going through Brad first. Look. Yeah, you say what you want about Brad. I'll, I'll go. After that. I mean, where do you want to? I mean, just what a what a phenomenal player. Yeah. Sometimes forget how good he was because he had such an yeah. iconic haircut, and you know, mm. a pretty you know, Brad McKay. It's a pretty good name. It was, there was something iconic about him. Uh, but I mean, what a wonderful player! Uh, the ultimate. Kind of forgotten a little bit, Sparks. I know because he was in the sort of back row. It's like oh, that was that was the Brad Clyde time. But no yeah. one else was allowed to kind of shine around then. Yeah, but you know, two hundred and forty-eight first-grade games, thirty-one of them including over- Super League, overseas in Super League. But he's the ultimate St George Illawarra player. You know, he played about thirteen seasons for the Dragons. Uh, had a stint at the Western Reds, which I'd forgotten about. Amazing. Uh, And then came back to Illawarra uh, for their final three seasons, I guess it was, and then played for the first uh, season of St. George Illawarra. That's ultimate Mm. St. Mm. George Illawarra player. I don't know. Played for St. George, played for Illawarra, and then played for St. George Illawarra. Exactly. Look, 17 games for New South Wales, 12 for Australia. He was a Clive Churchill medalist in a losing side. Speaking of Brad Clyde, I think he was one of the few other guys to get that, along with Jack mm. Whiten from last year. Mm. Which Daily I, Cherry Evans. Which I, yeah, Cherry Evans. Which I tip people yeah, about Daily. the Whiten um, uh, medal too, but I don't think Did many. You, mate? Yeah. Uh, so, look, I mean, just what a player. I mean, hmm. what do you – I mean, I, mean, I he's always right – He's right up your alley for Brad McKay's name because you're the sort of guy, like you're always like a hard-working back rower. Yes. But he was more than that. He obviously – he had a bit of dynamism to him, Brad McKay. He McCoy. did, yeah. Very, very modern-day player, very sort of um, post-leather football type player right at that peak. But he, he – um, 
you, you know, I've, I've like, I mean, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent here, but like one thing that this pandemic has done is, well, we've all kind of reveled and immersed in nostalgia and I've, you know, been no stranger to that myself. I don't think I've watched more like early 90s football, especially around 92, 93. And one thing that occurs to me is like in our psyche, at least my psyche, maybe it's just a trait of narcissism, but like it's very difficult to to um, connect with things that happened before you were born. Mm. Or before you, or not before you were born, before you remember it, before you were introduced to the game. And for me, like it was probably 90, 91 is when I start remembering rugby league. I know you're a couple of years earlier than that. Yeah. And Brad Mac, I, I learned today that Brad Mackay actually was was almost unstoppable in nineteen ninety. Yeah, like that yeah. Was when he was probably at his peak. Yeah. You know, he's playing on Kangaroos tours, first picked kind of thing. Yeah. Um, whereas I remember, so I'm like, am I remembering Brad Mackay like after he played oh, know, his absolute right? best football? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was he doing before then? Yeah, that's right. I, mean, I was anyway. thinking, Tang. I was thinking the same about Terry Lamb this week. Someone tagged me in a, in a Terry <laughs> Lamb thing, and I didn't realize <laughs> he debuted in '84. You know, yeah. like he played. He played six or seven years before we even started. We yeah. can even actually remember the game because of our, I guess, our brain development. You know, of our but age. But do you like? Do you think that, that that's the strange thing, and it must make sense? Like, I have a real bias towards modern day players in all sport, basically from when I can remember sport, and like when I look at footage from before I can remember sport, whether it be cricket or footy or whatever. Like even like the other day, I watched um, nineteen seventy five test match Australia versus Great Britain in league mm. or 79 or something and it was like George Paponis was the captain of Australia mm. and they ran out and everyone looked shit to me yeah but yeah to, to, and I know I'm wrong but they weren't wrong, yeah yeah like, yeah I know I'm wrong because those guys were the kings when like Terry Lamb came through and then Sorry. I remember when Terry Lamb was the absolute king so I was like well hang on they kind of Terry Lamb kind of just become really good mm. from nowhere and it's the same with cricket as well that's a that's a don't get me started on that. No. But anyway, yeah, Brad Mackay was like that. Like he he sort of started in 87, 88. Yeah. But was playing into the late 90s. Yeah, he would have been. More, it would have been in that sort of change. With Brad? No, no. Look, that's, I mean, just phenomenal. Great player. It's going to be it's gonna be hard. Yeah. He hard. also lives his life as a committed Christian and as a fireman. Yeah, I saw that fireman. Yeah. So, look. He would have seen the, you would have seen the Christian bit too. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, we should move on to Graham Mackay, would you say? All right. I'll, 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 yeah, a couple of things. I'll, I'll sort of walk through Graham. Oh, please, yeah. Love you too. Okay. Yeah. Um, played for six clubs in Australia, Graham Mackay, um, before playing for another three in the UK. So Six, he, he was six in three. Australia. Yeah, see, I, yeah. I, I, remember, I remember Wests. I remember yeah. Panthers. I remember Gold Coast. I don't... And then I'd maybe he'd be the kind of guy that probably went somewhere else in the Super League era as well. But there, it's only anyway. I'm surprised. So crushes, crushes, oh, okay, crushes, manly, manly. Um, mm. What was the other one? Anyway, roosters, uh, roosters. New, it says roosters. The roosters. Here. Oh, that's right. That's Sorry, right. Sydney and Sydney City roosters. Too. Sydney City. He played. So let's just get that right. Um, three in the UK. Two hundred and sixty-two games. So a couple. That's of elite, Bradley. man. That's elite. Anyway, mm. four origins between '92 to '94, which is essentially the peak of life, and um, for us in our age group, one test in 1992. Now, the thing that separates Graham from Brad, the one thing that that Graham was able to do that Brad wasn't, Tim, mm. was uh, win a competition, and win a competition he did. Let me explain how he did this, and this is going to be a big swinging 
um, element, I think, of this conversation if you're thinking about the careers they had. Gould, so he struggled at Wests okay. early in his career. Then Phil Gould picks him up in a draft. He struggled, he's a struggling player at Wests. Phil Gould picks him up in a draft, the only year that the Rugby League has ever done a draft, 1991. Hmm. Picks him up out of nowhere. 91, goes to the Panthers, wins a comp with the Panthers. Roy Simmons, two Ooh. tries against Canberra. Um, he's playing, he's a, he's a featured player in that side, playing with your Brad Izzards, your Steve Carters, your young Brad Fittlers, your Mark Geyers, your mm. Roy Simmons, Brandy. Uh, et cetera, your, Col, your, your, you know, your Cole Vandervoorts. Mm. Uh, what a shame. You're Greg Alexander's and Ben Alexander, RIP, rest in peace. Of course. Um, wins a comp. Wins that 91 comp, seminal comp. Um, following year, under Phil Gould, plays Origin. Struggling West player two years early, 18 months earlier. Now he's playing Origin in 92. Don't even need to go through who he's playing with there and against. Well, Brad McKay would be one. <laughs> <laughs> plays for Australia that, later that year as well. Bang. Um, I wouldn't have. I don't reckon I would have remembered that. And no disrespect, but I just, you know. Well, I said, yeah, I don't think it really matters. He, he did it. He played for it. Well, no, what of, career yeah, would rather have? Of whether you remember or not, this is complete. Doesn't matter at all. Yeah, um, that's true. Goes on, probably gets a bit of Super League driven money a couple of years later. Goes to the Crushers. Now, driven money, I mean, because obviously in our ARL. Everything was everything ever, was ever, 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 yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely escalated. Interestingly, he replaced Brad Mackay at Bradford. Wins the Super League in 2001 for Bradford against Wigan in the final. Um, scores a try. Also coached the Ormo Shearers in 2012 on the Gold Coast and now looks after the grounds up at a resort on the Gold Coast and he fishes in the afternoon. Wow. Well. But Brad Mackay's a fireman and a committed Christian, so. Now... I'm just going to, well, yeah, well, I generally just try and go off their, their footy careers. Um, can I ask you a question on uh, Graham? Graham, yeah. The 2001 uh, competition with Bradford, are we talking Super League Grand Final or Challenge Cup? Yeah. Or you're not sure? No, so, so Brad McKay won a Challenge Cup just before Ooh. then. At Wembley, he would have, fuck, that would have been good. Yeah. Graham wins the Super League Grand Final, <sighs> scores a try Mate, against this Wigan. is hard. This is a real good one. This really one is, hard. This is a real toughie. Um, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to sort of say like, go on three, like like one, two, three. Say the name. Okay. Oh, this is. Do you know what I mean? Okay. This so is hard. So like, like on the four, basically, if that makes sense. So it's one, yeah. two, three. Say the name. Okay. I, so here we go. Um, one, two, three. Graham McKay. Ooh, pretty good. Yeah, and I guess that was. I can't, mate. Look, I can't go past um, someone. Someone puts Brad McCoy in front origins. of you. Someone puts Brad McCoy on your desk. You're gonna. It's gonna be hard to say no, isn't it? And you gone for Graham? Well, mate, I went. You know what um, I went off? I went the '91 Grand Final. '91 Grand Final. Well, and that's fair enough. That's I just think enough. like. No, I push that. I mean, that was that. That would have been amazing. First, first grand final for a club. The fact that it's Penrith. The fact that it was that grand final against the Raiders in that era. I reckon that would. And he's done everything else. You know, New South Wales, Australia. Um, yeah, he's something to think about. Graham McKay, one of the first ever um, big wingers. I was just thinking that he might. Mu- he must mm. have been. Yeah. Yeah. I remember always thinking, like as a Bears fan, that Graham McKay was just a. 
he was just a really hard player to play mm. against. And he's obviously looking at his career. He's played at six clubs in maybe eight or nine years. So you can't say he's gelled with clubs. So you're wondering what that's about. Maybe he's just journeying his way through. Maybe it's just the way it goes. But, yeah, you, you, you sort of would you trade 17 Origins and 12 Australian matches and a couple of kangaroo tours there for one comp win in 91 with Penrith? Well, you're saying yes. Yeah, I've said yes. So, I'm yeah. saying no, and I'm saying I'm Brad Mackay, and I'm saying I've got a relationship with God, and I'm a fireman now after a couple of kangaroo tours. Uh, well, we're all happy then, aren't we? Coming up next, we're going to speak to Sydney Morning Herald's Phil Lutton with the real questions about what's going on in rugby league. I hope, uh, well, I hope your brain's in the right place for that. Okay, look, uh, you know we're a little, a little humble corner of the uh, of the league conversation here at the Hill, so we're thrilled to roll out the red carpet for a guy uh, who, unlike us, is across his beat. Uh, in this case, you know that beat is raw, unabated Queensland tinged, but otherwise incisive takes on the great game of rugby league. We're, of course, talking about Sydney Morning Herald rugby league journalist Phil Lutton. Phil, a very warm welcome to the Hill. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Look, if you hear any uh, TikToks or motorbikes or rifle fire in the background, don't worry about it. I can assure you I'm here by myself. I'm not breaking any laws. Just ignore that. That's what I advise everyone to do. <laughs> Definitely not going on social media. So let's just plough ahead. <laughs> um, Phil, uh, you know, not to railroad you straight away, but um, I just want to start with a question posed by one of your uh, esteemed colleagues. And by esteemed, I mean, um, you know, as I understand it, he's one of the top five most read people at the Sydney Morning Herald and has been for decades. I'm talking about Peter Fitzsimons, the bandana man. And he says, um, tonight, and you're now tasked with answering this on this humble podcast, you know, why have all industries stopped at the moment? The one to restart first should be the industry, rugby league that is, with the closest contact of all between its employees. Now, I know you're not Anastasia Palaszczuk, um, but if you could just adopt that you know, at the moment and explain to the faithful out there why league is getting these exemptions, um, that would, I guess, help our education. Well, this is a tricky one because rugby league, I mean, having covered, I've mean, played rugby league and covered it for, for years now, it's it's opinion of itself and its ability to self-promote and have almost no appreciation for what's happening outside of the rugby league bubble can be its own worst enemy at times. But in this scenario, I can't help but wonder if it's its greatest asset. It's, we've got this sort of Gordon Gecko figure running the game now, just full steam ahead, Peter Volandis, and he just seems determined to make this work no matter what. And it's a sport and an industry with no concept that things outside of rugby league might be worthwhile or useful. And on this occasion, it seems like it's actually helped. You know, it's copped a lot of stick from the AFL times. And I know Fitz has been going, uh, writing about it a lot, wondering why it's getting all these exemptions. I think the only answer is it's sheer pig-headedness. But that's the only thing I could come up with. They simply won't take no for an answer. And funnily enough, I have been responsibly going to the shops. I got my hair cut today, for instance. All I could hear was people saying, gee, I'm so excited rugby league's coming back. So you never know. It might be our uh, saving grace in these very strange times. Mm. Um I want to talk about Volandis in a second, but before that, I, I, you just mentioned that word exemption. Like you know, from my vantage point, um, down the coast in Victoria, that is where there's very little league coverage at all, unless you seek it out uh, on the internet. 
um, like it seems like most of the things that we read are about there being an agreement between the game and the broadcaster, but it all feels a little bit vague in relation to what the government is and isn't saying, both at the state level and then the federal level. You kind of get these... um, you, you get these broadsides from, um, you know, a state premier like Palaszczuk or Berejiklian about players or whatever, and Palaszczuk has to, you know, sadly respond to Brad Fittler, which is a hilarious sentence. But there doesn't seem to be, like, incredible clarity around whether or not the government has said, yeah, you guys can do this. Are, are we just we, we just seem to be accepting that from, you know, Vlandis and NRL.com that she's all sweet. I mean, is that your understanding as a journo that the government are have said, you know, you guys are good to go. No, not at all, not at all. And that's um, especially up here, up here in Queensland. You're right, it has been incredibly vague and, and the lines of communication has been, I feel like they're sort of back in World War One in the trenches when you had to send little runners around. There was actually no guarantee the message got through, but you sort of assumed it did. And you're like, you're, it's all good, boys. You're good to go over the top now. And then... <laughs> Someone comes along and says, actually, oh, sorry. That's happened a little bit here. There's been so many false starts, and Anastasia Palace up here, our Labor Premier, she's just pulled the handbrake on a few times and said, look, this is going to stun rugby league, but we actually wouldn't mind seeing some detailed plans of what you might have in mind um, in terms of restarting the competition, especially when the rest of the country can only gather in groups of two, 1.5 metres apart. Now, that was really offensive to Brad Fitler for some strange reason. <laughs> um, he, he sort of called her spineless, and I just couldn't imagine. I kept thinking, of all the things that go across the desks of the state premiers at the moment, you wonder where the NRL season really sits. But... As I understand, they've got some deep, more detailed plans in now, and uh, I get the feeling it's getting it's getting there, and I, and I, I get the feeling it'll happen May 28. That's the date. Um, I think that's going to happen now. Whether they start training as soon as everyone hopes may not happen, I think that's already been uh, put into some jeopardy because ideally they'd like this to go through the national cabinet. This sort of collective of sort of um, premiers and, and, and the federal government to give it a bit of a green light. But um, if it happens and they can do it and they can do it to the satisfaction of all the medical officers and the premiers and the politicians, you've got to say, well, bloody done to them because I don't, I don't think many people thought they could get it done so quickly. Oh, no, and there's so many questions that kind of stem off that as well, mate. Like, has it been the strategy of Flandies to essentially create within the public this sense that it is happening and so that the the issue sits with the politicians to, to finally decide with the pressure on them? Um, let's. T- I just want to ask you about Peter Vlandis, uh because you're somebody who writes about him. I know that there's other guys who are on the rugby league beat kind of every single day, whereas you have a, a much broader kind of remit, um, which is kind of cool. Like, um, I, I, want, I want to read you something that Richard Hines wrote in the, on the ABC a few days ago, and it was sort of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but he said, you know, Vlandis might be hailed as the innovative administrator who defied the nervous Nellies, skied through the shutdown red tape, and brought sport back to our screens. Um, so, uh, Phil, like, I've never seen rugby league media so united behind an administrator or a leader of the game. You know, normally you're talking about factionalism, club warlords, everyone pushing their own barrow, and the entire lightning rod is that leader. And 
in this case, nobody seems to be prepared to even say peep or test Peter Vlandes in any way. Like, how does he achieve this level of power um, and just unification around, uh, you know, his profile and his leadership? Yeah, well, he's a really interesting one. I think he was a bit of a darling of the Sydney media already before he came to the post. So, you know, he's obviously got his role in racing New South Wales and certainly um, had some close links, certainly to the news, limited media. Uh, and, and I think they were all, all pretty keen for him to move into this NRL position and take a role in the NRL. He's regarded as someone who gets things done and he's regarded as someone who is made for these sort of big occasions. If you look at what he did with racing in New South Wales, you know, he sort of put on their the new championship to take on, you know, the, he's had no problems taking on the establishment in Victoria. And I think a lot of rugby learners are like that. Look, the thing is, at the moment, all the clubs... All the club heads and bosses, everyone in the game just wants one thing. Well, it's two things. They want the game to start and they want their money. So at the moment, everyone's rowing in the same direction. So who knows how long that love will last for Peter Volandis once it all gets up and running as per normal. Because I love the idea that people think sports can be this great utopia, egalitarian yeah. um, environment once it all starts again. I think that's absolute bollocks. I think part of the reason we love sport is because it's full of lunatics and egos and madmen, and rugby league does that almost better than anyone. So I'll be interested to see how he survives that. But I reckon the best piece I've read about Bland is, is a piece in our paper in the Herald, was it last Saturday, maybe the Saturday before, about saying rugby league, it actually secretly has always wanted a star-type figure, just someone to really... They don't want to bureaucrat to run the game. People want to be told what to do. They want, they want a daddy. Eccleston type. They want, they, that's, that's right. They want, a, they want an authority, a figure of authority to come in and just kick heads and get the game going. And I just wonder if Peter Volandis actually is that person. I've got to admit, I was a little bit sceptical when he first came in, but um, it's certainly very different to, to what the game's had for a while. So who do you think... With given that in mind, will be the next CEO. Like, will it stay um, with Abdo or someone else? Or will Vel- does Volandis want to do it? Well, the answer is I don't know, boys, and I won't lie. I don't have particular insight into that sort of political side of the game, as as Sam said. I'm not across. That's not my specialty. I, I don't know if Volandis would want to do it. I don't know if it'd be useful for him to do it. I just wonder whether him being able to distance himself from the day-to-day decisions of the running of the game just gives him a bit more power and a bit more strength to come in when you need a blunderbuss to come in and and fire a broadside now or then or take on the politicians or agitate for this or agitate for that. That, to me, works better. Um, CEOs get, as everyone's finding out, in the first week on the job, you get caught up in usually two or three atrocities per week in rugby league, it takes up a fair bit of your schedule, and I don't know if Peter Vlandes is going to be doing that. Um, Andrew Andrew Abbott seems like a pretty clever guy. Seems like he's across the business side of things. I I think that's a better fit for a CEO, and I like I like the idea of having a, a guy like Vlandes as this big sort of godfather of the game that can, you know, take on the might of the politicians, take on the broadcasters, and do his deals and, and, and see where it goes from there. 
Phil, just finally, we'll um, and appreciate all of your insights into this. Again, very humble podcast. Um, I, I noticed the other day you wrote a piece about uh, Origin being played over three weeks in November, and you're very much for the concept. Um, you know, I mean, what what should we expect in relation to Origin? It's going to happen in November. I mean, is this one of these things where you know, in the cricket, Ben McDermott takes care of South Africa on the Wednesday night, you know, in the T- international T20s, and then, you know, Boydo runs out at Leichhardt uh, for Origin 1. And if so, I can get behind that? Well, you never know. I mean, in a perfect world, that's, that's where we're aiming. But, uh, look, Origin in November is a spin out in itself, obviously. I mean, it could be 35 degrees. Who knows? <laughs> that's what... <laughs> keep thinking of all these random things about it. But I love the... I spoke to Paul Gallen about it. Um, I love the idea... I've always wanted Origin just to be across three or, or maybe three weeks or a month anyway. Like, I love the idea of the game mid-season just stopping and doing it mm. Origin. And mm. I love the attritional aspect of it. I love the idea that you pick a big squad and it's who can almost, who can limp to the finish line with everyone intact. And that plays a role in the series. So, um, if you think of all the ridiculous madness that happens over the sort of two months we get of Origin, that's crazy enough as it is. I love the idea of it all being condensed into three weeks or four weeks. Um, I hope that's the blueprint going forward. I hope everyone likes that and they make that a feature in the middle of the year. Because to be honest, mate, I tell you, boys, I love the game and I love all the athletes in it. But covering those post-origin rounds where nobody's playing and nobody cares, mm. oh, it's tough. It's tough work, mm. Phil. Awesome. <laughs> Phil, thanks so much for being available uh, for the Hill. We'll obviously, get this out, you know, out, out there among social media, and uh, maybe three or four people will see it. But uh, you know, as Christian Welsh told us a few weeks ago, uh, he likes to get in get, get in the ground level uh, of these startups, and you've done the same thing, even if you didn't realise that's what you were doing. I love it, guys. I'm, I'm looking forward to the share float. I assume I get a big chunk of that, so um, <laughs> hope that's not presumptuous of me to say so. But um, I'm already out shopping for cars, so thanks very much. <laughs> Cheers, Phil. Phil Lutton from the City Morning Herald always delivers, always delivers and a lot to think about from someone who actually covers rugby league and knows what's going on, uh, actually covers a lot of sports. Sparks are onto something altogether more cerebral if you think about it. It's, are you interested? Um, you've brought on a couple of articles and you're just, you know, if you are new to the show, is um, Tim's going to challenge me as to whether I am indeed interested in some of the pieces of content that come out of the rugby league diaspora, which uh, you know ne- never ceases to thrill, uh, should be one word. Yeah. Hey, you know, side note, I've just pulled up the NRL website, and the first thing I can see in the corner is the old New South Wales rugby league logo. The old, you know, the blue, the, the two shades of blue and the red footy uh, about a state of origin article. It just made me just just made me feel very, very happy and content, peaceful almost. In these trying mm. times, that's all it takes. All right, Pezza, a couple of things. Are you interested? First one, coming from uh, www.nrl.com, so the NRL website. And the headline reads, How 20-round season affects each team's final chances. Pezza, are you interested? Um, no, but like... Like, like how, how can... I mean, just before you read it out, because I haven't read this piece... How is it possible that this piece, which is entirely designed to get people like you to click it and be served ads, 
going to be in any way informative before a draw is released. Like, like as a West Tigers fan, how can you read that piece and ask yourself, oh, will I be more informed about their chances now that I've read these probably 570 to 630 words? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, no, read it. Well, look, it... it- it, it's it's claimed that it's crunched the numbers a few times, so it, it says... I'll just read a couple crunched of the numbers numbers before you guys NRL.com crunched the numbers to determine the cutoffs for competition points in a bid to reach the top eight using results based on the last five years of ladder finishes. Tell me when you're not interested by this. In a normal 25-round competition, including buys, the magical number of 28 points, that's including buys, was often referred to as the benchmark for eighth spot. A reduced 20-round season would feature no buy rounds. So this analysis is stripped buy round points from all averages. So instead of the 28, they're using 24. Now, over the past five... Tell me when you're not interested. Over the past five years, when teams have each played 24 games and had two weekends off for buyers and the representative round each season, the minor premiers have finished on an average of 37.2 points. Now, look, I'm actually going to stop myself... I don't really know what they're talking about with this. None of what you've said has anything to do with how the 20-round season affects the team's final chances. What they've done is started to talk about the numbers of points you needed to make finals in previous yeah. years. So yeah. they've already covered about half their like um, their content needs for filling that article because you've already clicked on it. It's done. The game's Sadly. over. Sadly, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, they- that, 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 in terms of media... They got you with the headline, you're in. Yeah. You've got a couple of ads running down either side of that article. Um, yeah. Maybe a couple pop-ups. Maybe yeah. there's a KO thing on the right. Yeah. And you, they're, sti- they're still keeping it. You're not even, you're not yeah. even re- Yeah, you've got some sports bet there, whatever. You've opened up a gambling account. Um, yeah. Already, you've you've yeah. put 20 bucks on the Tigers against uh, the Dogs. Exactly. <laughs> whoever they're playing. That's right. Bring um, open the KO subscription. You've, you've reopened it, exactly. You've, clicked, you've already clicked on, yeah. You've gone into yeah. YouTube. You've, you're watching, you know, Marist uh, Brothers yeah. Eastwood. You know, ninety-one. Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> good luck to them. They reckon they reckon you're going to need twenty point one points to finish in the top eight, thirty to be minor premiers, and twenty-five to be top four. So I, I just, you know, if that's what they reckon. Um, but how that, does that affect the finals chance? That's yeah, what season. It, yeah, does it affect it. Yeah, that's right. And I like, you know, here we are agreeing on something. I, I was just sort of throwing this out there to sort of. Um, illustrate that, I guess. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't really. It says down the, what's at the end. Um, they basically go on to say that the teams that have that are now unbeaten on four on four points have a much better chance of making the finals. For the teams which started the season with successive losses, Gold Coast, Roosters, Cronulla, Saints, Canterbury, and the Warriors, the equation is they they have to win at least ten games of the remaining eighteen rounds, or they'll have little chance of qualifying for the finals. Yeah. So those two games were like, um, are now worth a higher percentage of points that you need to make the finals, which would have made zero difference to the effort levels of any of those players participating, especially the West Tigers and the Leilua brothers with their abominable performance against the Newcastle Knights. Um, well, well done NRL. And actually on that note, it's our pleasure to welcome our first partner, um, onto the hill sports bet. And now that's something that you'll never, ever hear us say. Um, what's the next one? Uh, yep, yeah, cool. So the next one is uh, 28 Days Later. 
which I think is a reference to a Sandra Bullock movie from maybe the early 2000s. Oh, that was um, 28 Days, the band Rip It Up. Oh, even know. better. Uh, could be. I'm just, you know, um, guessing. Uh, but it says, yeah, 28 Days Later, the sport minister outlines crowd returns. This is from Fox Sports. Are you interested? I'm only now interested in the same vein as I was in the NRL article because I've got a feeling that what's inside that article is not what the headline is. No, it's sort of. Like, it's okay. Victorian sports minister uh, believes crowds returning to Australia. It's not in 2020. is not impossible. So that's we've got to be encouraged by that, I would have thought, Pezza. Um, yeah, it reports that... Per- Pakula suggested that while the scenario of crowds returning remains less likely, the more likely there exists a scenario in which it's possible. Uh, and it's basically right. just it's basically just to do with, you know, whatever the World Health Organization criteria is as right, to whether I, we'll be in or not. Okay. Um, yeah, I, that'll you, do. Yeah, no, okay. Right. Can you give us give us one more. Pick pick whatever you got. Oh. Want me, oh, you want you want to do both? Come on, let me do both. All right, all right. Come on. Okay, so this is this is off just an Instagram post um, from a strength and conditioning uh, coach, Ben Griffin, who runs a pretty good Instagram. I don't even know him. He just runs a pretty good Instagram in Canberra. Uh, the, the grab was spiking Achilles injuries after the NFL lockdown where athletes could only train on their own. Um, are you interested? No. <laughs> Come on. And then the next one, actually, I'll just follow on from that. This is from... Um, Deacon Uni uh, uh, website, <laughs> um, but, uh, and the headline is "Stars this is now branded res- content." Stars now responsible for their own fitness, just like us. Are you interested in either of those Achilles injuries or sports stars being responsible for their own fitness, just like you and me, mate? Just like you and me. No. No. Sorry, I, I know how I sound really petulant with this. I mean. Bit of sports science stuff, The truth is, I'm not interested. I'm only interested in your passion for it. That's yeah, that, okay. That entertains me. Are you interested? That, that, yeah. Are you interested in the fact that the the Deakin Uni um, one was from a, a certain Dr. Eric Drinkwater, who's a senior lecturer in sports science at Deakin University? So as soon as I saw him, I thought, oh, I wonder if he's related to. You know, Scott Drinkwater that was playing down um, here for the Storm and then went up to the Cowboys and so I had a bit of a look into that. I didn't look that hard. It, it, could, it, could, be, it could be his dad. A few Drinkwaters going around. There's, like, there's, a, there's a Chelsea midfielder called Danny Drinkwater and yeah, right. uh, he used to play for Leicester. What's the heritage? Is that an Irish name? So I would, I'd, I'd imagine it'd be, yeah, up, up the Anglosphere up there in yeah. England. Oh, Drinkwater. Well, like he basically just sort of says that you know, without the, without the um, support of you know strength and conditioning coaches and staff, and without the structure and the the goals to work towards, it's much difficult to to train uh, for these for these professional athletes. Much like you know the 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 non the non professional athletes, such as um, ourselves and maybe the listeners out there. Non-athletes, wonderful opportunity to segue to the great segment. Um, non-athletes training by themselves. I'm, of course, talking about Tiger Corner. Cue the music. Get it going, mate. Here it is. Okay, Sparks, non-athletes training by themselves. We're a couple of weeks away from the Tigers resuming their season. And... Um, 
you know, as has been the tradition the last couple of weeks, we've decided that Tiger Corner is a segment where we'll alternate the topic before the games comes back. Oh, sorry, we'll alternate the responsibility for the topic before games come back. Um, last week, it was my choice, and uh, this week it's your choice. So what are you hitting us with this week? Okay. What, are we, what, what are you deciding that we're discussing this week? The listicle, Pezza, that's what it's called, isn't it? The top five, the listicle. Uh, we've got top five captains. So top five uh, players from the West Tigers oh, that have captained. Fascinating. That have captained uh, the club. So okay, hang on. So can, can we get some? Because uh, I know you like to skip into this real quickly. Can we get some criteria? A little bit of categorization here. Some parameters. Are you listing out your your Tim Sparks's top five favorite captains at the Tigers, or are you saying objectively these were the top five captains of the club as seen by me? Well, you always pick you always pick me up on this like every time. Part of me I just want to understand where you're coming from. Well, part of me doesn't feel I should have to answer that question. Okay. Uh, but, What's your answer? Um, it's just my favorites. It's just, you know, yeah, guys that I think it's yeah, it's probably more my favorites. So I'm not saying they did the best job of skippering. Maybe some of them did. Maybe I've got different reasons for others, you know. It's just my top five um, guys that have captained the club. Right. I know that's not well, that clear and it's not the answer you wanted, but you've got to remember, this is my segment. I've, you know, I've put in the hard work of researching yeah, this during no, the I'm week sure, I'm sure and coming up the with the, the idea of the listicle. And I just, I just like to sit here and count them down. I'm going to start with number no, five. Crack on. Great, no, great, great topic. Tiger Corner, great topic. Here's the top, my top five captains. This is a fucking year two project. <laughs> <laughs> okay, as uh, so a top five, I've uh, I've come in with Craig Field. All right, for the for the West Tigers. <laughs> okay, so so but Craig Field killed a bloke. Well, allegedly. How can you um, be lionising a bloke like this? Hang on, oh, he's a good footballer. Captain the club for two years. Oh, you, um, you know, separate the artist from the art, huh? Sorry, hang on, hang on, hang on. Not for two years, by the way. Two games uh, in the year two thousand. <laughs> Look, Craigfield came over the Tigers in the Balmain era, I think in the 99 season. It was quite exciting. Like, he was he was playing in a red-hot Manly side. It'd be equivalent. It wouldn't quite be equivalent to Daly Cherry Evans coming over. Um, <laughs> but imagine imagine Cherry Evans comes that's, over that's not true. to the Tigers. Why do, you, why do you say things that aren't true and just expect to fucking roll on? Anyway, go on. <laughs> anyway, I, you know... Um, had an okay year. I think he just played the 2000 season for the Tigers. But anyway, that's my number five uh, in the in the top five, Craigfield. Right. Uh, okay, number four to ever captain the West Tigers, Pezza, John Simon. <laughs> okay, in, uh, okay, in 2001. I don't know. This was in the Terry Lamb years. These were grim, grim, grim times, you know. Almost, you know, you're never ashamed, but... My word, they were bad. Uh, so John Simon was in there, I think at 5'8 or, or halfback, when we were absolutely desperate and had no direction. Uh, and he captained the side for, for two games. So I think it's worth mentioning it. You know, and this is part of, you know, honouring the history of the club. Uh, Pezza, number three. Can I just stop you there for a second just with a, like, what I would love, um, and maybe this is, and I'd love the listeners to contribute to this as well in terms of helping me for what the next topic should be, but like, I'm trying to articulate this off the top of my head and lucky I'm not in words, you know, professionally, but like 
some sort of scale or graph needs to be created for like working out the top five West Tigers players who um, enjoyed and a stellar career and were brilliant footballers and joined the Tigers and performed extremely poorly. Oh yeah, like, and just you like and, talking like, about this death riding blokes. I think it's called. Is the death riding? Well, wow. I, I actually say good luck to the blokes um, for winning that contract that the Tigers have decided to award to them. Mm. Um, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying like a guy like John Simon, like absolute kind of hero in like early to mid nineties as a as a halfback in football. And it's like you're kicking around wearing that like. Um, polyester black west <laughs> oversized west tigers jersey in 01 or 02 good I luck want. to you mate <laughs> good luck to you for play like that you know and you you're a bit jowly you know through the yeah. cheeks and stuff like that and i just want to know i just want to get a scale going there for okay, okay. tigers players oh well, anyway i'm just saying for, 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 for next week just for suggesting a topic i don't know what the words are for it or whatever but i think the listeners will know what i'm talking about there yeah okay oh, look no, that's I mean, yeah. I mean, that's fine. You just, you, I'm, no I'm mid. I'm, John well, look, I'm, mid, I'm midway through this this count, and you know, you're sort of throwing in that sort of negative stuff. But okay, no worries. <laughs> um, I'll keep going here. Uh, well, number three. <laughs> well, number three, I've awarded to uh, is Corey Pearson. He was a great player, Corey Pearson, very underrated player uh, for the Balmain and Did the he, West Tigers. He captained. he captained one game in 2002. Um, <laughs> Yeah, joke. so there was there was quite a few captains going around. Uh, but Corey I, I, Pearson, yeah, he just had a, some good go forward about him, and I enjoyed it. I think it was good that he got to skipper uh, the club. Uh, number two, Pezza. I've gone with okay, Aaron Woods, Woodsy. Um, mm. That's a real s- slap in the face for Woodsy. How? How is that a slap in the face? Because. Because of the because of the company that he's in, because <laughs> this nah. is a joke list. <laughs> You've created a joke list. No, no, it's and not. And you put Woods at two. No, 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 oh, it's not. Okay, it's not, it's not a complete joke. No, look, all got a different reason for for being in the list, but this one's a genuine one. And Aaron, if you're out there and you're listening or you come across this, just be known that you're always welcome back at the Tigers anytime. All's forgiven. We all make mistakes. It's all good. And um, I would love, I would absolutely love nothing more than to see um, Aaron Woods come back and finish his career uh, where he belongs at the Tigers, just in the same way that guys like Dean Hallitow and Benji Marshall and Robbie Farah did. I think he deserves that as well, and I'd love nothing more you from change, that to happen. You, you change uh, your tune on him. Number, number one, uh, number one, and it's a, this is just a, a, sometimes a long-forgotten guy, and his name's Darren Sanapeza, uh, and, and he's my number one captain ever for the Tigers. Uh, 86 times, so he's, he's the second highest capped uh, skipper behind Robbie Farah from 2000 to 2004, and he, he really navigated some difficult early years there, um, and got us through to 2004. And it was, you know, it was a shame for him that he missed out on playing the 2005 premiership. But I still a couple of things I remember: Darren Center in the 2005 uh, season. Was he? He started like hosting these post-game functions, like usually uh, at the pub that we call the Woolshed uh, at Homebush there afterwards. And I just remember once, like he was just necking like this, like Jack Daniels or something, um, just for a bit of Dutch courage before going up on the on the stage, which you know we've all done before. Um, <laughs> which was just cool. And then he'd just get up there with so much passion, and I just you know. Really, really, really loved the the cut of his cloth. So, and then just being, but he was also down on the sideline when we did win in 05 and 
uh, you know, he was a big part of establishing the club. So, yeah, he's my top. He's my top five. Oh, sorry, my number one as far as um, skippers for the the joint venture go. So that that's the look. That's the segment for this week, Pezza. You know, I'm trying my best here. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to come up with ideas for the segment. Uh, I hope I hope the listeners enjoyed that. I hope you you know got to to learn something that you know a guy like John Simon captain uh, the West Tigers. There were 21 you know um, guys that have captained. Um, the club, you know, including like the likes of Terry Hill, Scott Sattler, Todd Payton, Brayton Astor, um, all sorts of people have done it, and you know, Mark O'Neill, Jared McCracken, yeah, Robbie Farrar, yeah. Mm. That's the segment. That's the segment for the show, and you know, you'll get your turn to, um, you know, let me talk about something else next week. That's the segment. Thanks, Tim. Um, and you were speaking the past past tense there, which is a, a, a wonderful way to introduce the next thing, the next piece of excellent content that you continue to produce, and you do. I really mean that, and it's hard for me to be sincere. Generally, um, or so people tell me, and that segment is what could have been. Uh, and just by way of very quick introduction, the what could have been segment this week is is pitting two sides from different eras against each other and just throwing it, throwing the opening the floodgates, throwing throwing the gates open to the listeners, to the audience, uh, just to just for them to let us know who they think would have won in this hypothetical fixture. And this week uh, it got really hypothetical um, with Sparks deciding that the match would be between the um, twenty sixteen Cronulla Sharks, who were premiers. And the and a nineteen ninety one team, which is a combination of Wests and Balmain. So this is Sparks, who could have picked any team from any era, any year, any club, and he's decided that no, I can't do that. I must combine Wests and Balmain from nineteen ninety one. Um, Tim, what did you find? I found a lot. You know, I, I really, I really enjoyed doing this, and a big part of the reason I did it was, you know, just one of the West side of the merger. You know. Uh, get sometimes forgotten uh, on this segment. Sure, and, they're grateful. You know, um, look, I was really happy with the the combined. You know, the, just imagine if the West Tigers had a merge in '91. You know, you'd Gary Jack, Ainsco, Farah, Andrew, that is Brasher, Tony Casado, uh, Jason Sinclair, and Jason Taylor in the halves. What a, what a combination! Jim Dimmick at Lock. Bob Linder, Sirin and Gillespie, Elias Roach. I mean, it's a, it's an international side essentially. Um, the pack's are out of control. Darren Britt, Graham Wynn, who I'd forgotten played for West in that year. Lang Mack, Shane Flanagan there on the bench, and Baysari as an emergency player uh, against you know the the Premiership uh, winning Cronulla Shark side. Uh, look, it was actually we had an overwhelming response here, um, really, uh, that went uh, with the Tigers. You know, Drew Higgins said the spine's just way too good. Which is, I reckon, true. It's probably based on Jack and Elias. A lot of people, a lot of mentions for Benny Elias, which I liked. Um, you know, a bit of negativity um, around a few things here and there. Someone didn't like Jamie Ainsco being picked. I suggest that person doesn't like Jamie Ainsco being picked. Just needs to go back a little bit. And, and for the listeners out there, if we can have a who would you rather be with a couple of Jamies, Ainsco and Goddard, maybe Pezza. I think it'd be good to explore his. Uh, 
his career a little bit more. Pez, you got involved. Come on, what, what did you think of it? I thought it was great. The thing that I, the thing that uh, I was really trying to, you know, put people with is that I, I picked Shane Flanagan in the in the West Tigers side, and he was also coaching, but no one really picked up on the difficulties of this. Um, which I thought would be more of a talking that's the, point. That's the thing you were really trying to put people with. Well, I thought that would be more of a talking point, but it wasn't. Um, which, I, you know, is interesting, I guess. Uh, Michael Henry got in touch with us and gave us a, a pretty amazing, extensive response, which was good, saying that the Sharks will win 86-2. to two. Um and those two points were two field goals kicked by Jason Taylor. I mean, that's pretty good. Pez, you got involved, you know. I made. Oh, look, I thought this was. I thought so, this was. This is the most engagement yeah, we've I had did. with this with this segment. So I can only imagine that people liked the either enjoying the concept and are just you know, um, getting their you know getting their feet a bit deeper into the into the ocean with the set with the with the segment, um, you know, or it was just a great clash, you know. You got involved. Yeah, I, I, I did. I think there's, um, I think like, you know, in the same vein as your Tiger Corner segment, I think you've approached it with the um, imagination and creativity of a child in year three um, doing, a pro- doing a project that is like, f- f- like fanciful. Bordering on farcical. It's just it's just a kid. It's just a kid whose parents have said, "Tim, go sit in the corner and write a story," and you've started going, "Oh, all right, I'm gonna write. Uh, I'll write a newsletter of uh, uh, 2016 Sharks versus the '91." Well, I wrote a pretty um, good one. Mag, I mean... Magpies and Balmain uh, Tigers playing together, and the things that stood out to me, like at a really high level, were the. Um, Rank disrespect for the team that literally won the competition in 2016 against against the um, overstated uh, like respect that you have for players from 1991 in your own club, many of whom that you've included in that side who were past it by then, as evidenced by the results in 91 for them, as, as well as subsequently what happened to the Balmain Tigers. If you'd have said Balmain Tigers, if you'd include, if you said that from 1990 or 89 or 88, I'd have respected it. But you're basically looking at a really, really good Cronulla Sharks side from 2016 who won the comp versus a fucking ordinary mid-table side who, like, I know there's it, the side is dominated by West players. West made the finals. Good, I know they did. Um, and it was a top five uh, back then. Yeah. Um and 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 the, the the cherry on top was the selection of Jason Sinclair at number six. Mate, I thought eight. that was masterstroke. I think if you and okay, look, I understand. You asked that. me, my, you asked me my view. I don't know if I hadn't finished, but now you, you're cutting in. Well, you know, as, you know, Jason it, Sinclair. It, it turns out I, I did a bit of research. Jason Sinclair, and and uh, God rest his soul as well. Jason Sinclair, wonderful player. Um, Jason Sinclair played 80 first grade games um, in his career. Um, he played um, four of those games at 5'8", where you've selected him ahead of um, Ivan Henjak, Brian Smith, Jim Dimmick. Um, who else was there? Someone else as well, wasn't there? Uh, Will Jay- Robinson, who Will was Robinson. actually probably one of the Tigers' best players in 1991. And I can say because I used to go to those games at Leichhardt. I think he was Rookie then. of the Mums Year, maybe the year before then. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> um, 
well, you selected Jason Sinclair, who, who who that year played two games for the Tigers. One of them was on the bench. Both of them were at centre. He's played. He started at five eight twice for the Tigers in his entire career. The other two times was for the Rabbitohs. And if I can think about them in the nineties as well. And um, of the four games he played at five eight, he won one. And I'm pretty sure that was for the Rabbitohs as well. So um, you got him at six. And it just goes to show that, like, you, you pick him ahead of those guys. This is just a, this is a farce, and and like the disrespect for the 2016 Cronulla Sharks, who just were absolutely teeming with players, probably over the salary cap. Oh. Let's be fair. Well, serious, they got they got some serious legends in that side, and you think there's going to be a contest there? I mean, if you look at the Bowman Tigers in 1991, if you look at photos of them playing, no, in that's why I merged them. That's why I merged them, <laughs> mate. Steve Roach, Gillespie, Sirin, and Linda Dimmick. I mean, what a great forward battle that'd be. Garland, Graham, Lewis, Pry, Ennis, Fafita. Like, it's on. Like, that's a game. We've got a game on our hands. Jimmy Maloney, you know, getting around the park. JT getting the Tigers around the park. Ben Barber, you know, bloody hell. Gary Jack, probably not in his best years, but still. I mean, Andrew Farr and Brasher in the centres. Jack Bird, or well, Valentine Home. Mate, it's, I just, it's a, I think it's a mouth-watering clash. And I'd, I think that's reflected in the engagement from the listeners. And all I can say is, you know, you're having a go at me for saying that the, you know, celebrating the Tigers and disres- disrespecting Cronulla, the listeners have, have said it. As Drew Higgins said, the spine of the 91 team too good. Mag Tigers for the win. Who else? That's Who it. else? Who else? Uh, Lachlan Scully said Magpies. We'll take that. He just literally wrote Magpies. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that yeah. was someone. I thought that was someone else has done it on a different thread. I think Andrew yeah. Barry and, actually, and yet, who come in with the, and yet, with the and who would you rather um, be? And yet, hang on a second. Sam McNeil's come out and said, "Well, the, the Sharks win because of Ainsco." Sam Perry's written thirteen responses to you saying this is an absolute farce. The Sharks won the comp, and someone else has written that the Sharks win eighty six two. And here you are on the. So we got three. We got three for the Sharks. You're not even reflecting. Oh, Andrew Barry said, are. "Andrew Barry's coming. Ninety one Tigers get the chocolates because." If the game being played in 91, they're going to benefit from it. Slower track, Benny Lowers, Benny Lowers would be crafty around the rock. Look at that. Benny Lowers. Yeah. <laughs> Young Tim Brasher. Mate, I just think it's such a great... Like, I just... Don't, don't get in the way of what could have been a really good game. And that's the uh, the essence. The essence. Again, I'm not stopping the game. Uh, I'm just saying that of I think the, the Sharks segment. I think, it's, I think it's the Sharks by 36. Billy Razor's come in. Tigers. Yeah. He said Tigers as well. And most people agreed, and I agreed too, that one of those Sharks blokes would have got sent off. So, you know. But, hey, look, thanks for getting in touch uh, via the socials. I mean, what a surprise that you did a what could have been where literally your team that finished um, 12th that year played against the 2016 Premiers. Yeah, they merged with the Magpies. And all of a sudden, your, and your team manages to win that game. Oh, mate, I don't, I don't, I don't get into cahoots with the listeners and tell them what to do, mate. This is, you know, this isn't a propaganda machine, you know. And you've got to remember, what I do is I base it on a game that's going to happen this week, you know. And so, you know, um, this weekend coming, we would have seen the Tigers and the Sharks play. So that's why I've done that, you know. And if you, that's something you might need to remember. Um, realize, look, it, it, moving forward, moving forward with uh, what could have been. I realize I haven't. Um, Given every side a run yet, so but I'll endeavour to do that over the over the next few weeks. <laughs> and that's it for the week, Pez, and then we'll, we'll put the what could have been um up on the social media stuff sometime next week, eh? Brilliant, great segment, great segment. 
Uh, and finally, just yeah, question, questions from the listeners, Tim. Um, I think you've got one that w- was written into you privately. Yeah, look, it was. Do you want me to read the whole thing? It's a pretty long question. Yeah, yeah, no, please. That's, that's the idea, yeah. Okay, it's from uh, listener Ben Shine. Got a question for the program. Uh, and I'll just read it. In a bad nostalgia, I was recently recalling the kicking duel at the 1992 origin between Dale Shearer and Ricky Stewart. Sorry, Rick Stewart, as he's called. As a kid, I really enjoyed the spectacle, but on reflection, it was probably quite boring and also not very effective tactic. Apparently, Queensland won 5-4, but I also don't remember that. Also, according to an article in the telly, it was the last ever kicking duel in the top flight. My question is, do you think Stick and Shearer colluded before the match about the duel? I want to believe it was spontaneous, but the more I think of it, they would have had to agree to it beforehand, right? If so, it seems a bit pro-wrestling to me. It makes me feel cheated. Not sure if it's better to know the truth or continue in my blissful ignorance. I mean, it's a yeah. very good question. You know, you know what happened with my answer. I didn't. I was like, I'm not. I wasn't really sure if I was with you on it, Benny. Like, I just didn't really. I was like, yeah, I guess maybe they could have colluded. But then we just t- talked about it a couple of times, like a couple of messages back and forth. And I thought, no, hang on a sec. They, yeah, they would have because they weren't doing kicking jewels then. And like, what? Stuart, whoever kicked the first one, I don't know if it was Stuart or Shearer, but say it was Stuart to Shearer. Usually they'd just be running, but all of a sudden he kicks it back. And then they just start kicking to each other. And like kicking jewels sort of had long been... I think the, the one before that was in like 1983 or something. Was it? What, have you done a bit of research? Well, we did a little bit around it, yeah. Well, a famous one was in apparently, I think, the 83 grand final, I think. Don't completely quote me. Yeah, 83, sorry, 83 semi-final. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. What, I mean, what do we think? Is I don't. So what would be in it for them to like? Why would they collude about this for fun, for a laugh? Possibly, like they, Possibly. you can't you can't bet on that. They weren't doing spot spot betting or what's what they call it spot fixing like in cricket, like where they ball no balls and stuff like that. Like they weren't going. Oh yeah, know. the twenty well, minute I think mark. The first thing, and you had this question privately, so it would have. Been, I think a bit more research would have been helpful for this conversation. But like my memory is that. Um, I don't think it had been like 10 years since there had been a kicking duel. I, I feel like while it might have like absolutely would have been one of the last ones that ever happened and probably frowned upon, like they there still might have been a couple here and there. And like when you think about Ricky Stewart's game, um, especially coming from rugby union, he was very much a ball player. He's very much about spirals. He was a, he was a long game player, you know, long passes, mm. long kicks, not a big short game like Alan Langer sort mm. of thing. Yeah. And, it occurs to me that maybe because Origins are kind of like a culture of its own, perhaps the, the game plan from Queensland was like, you know, let's play on Ricky Stewart's ego, you know, and beat him at, its own, beat him at his own game kind of thing as a bit of a like a psychological um, like piece of one-upmanship. And like, so I'm, I'm very earnest about this. I'm not, I'm not saying there's any collusion at all. And then I, what I remember from that kicking duel was that like, Stewart's kicking these like beautiful torpedoes. You can actually see the like the trajectory of the ball and the spiral of it in the air. And Dale Shearer looks like fucking, you know, a, 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 a sheep on ice, a lamb on ice, you know, mm. trying to kick. Um, you might even say Bambi on ice if you actually knew how to use those uh, piece of language device. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. And I remember, 
I seem to recall that Stewart won the battle and ended up getting into touch and Daryl Eastlake was commentating and perhaps they, they might have even been using a yellow ball. Yeah, um, that all sounds right. They use those yellow balls. Yeah, the, and so I guess my question football. is like, what the fuck was Dale Shearer thinking? Why that? Like, I mean, where was Quint? Like, what, why would you even? Why would anybody take Ricky Stewart on in a like in a yeah. kicking duel? I mean, which, I'm, I'm talking, I'm I'm talking in, I'm talking any era, at any well, time. Just, I mean, just, I'm including Andrew Johns in that and stuff. I'm like, in terms of like out and out torpedo long range kickers, Ricky Stewart would have to be one of the best. Like, he's a, he's a he was a proper kicker. Of the ball in terms of ball in hand, not for goal, obviously. So, like, literally a Wallabies 5'8", which counted for something at that time. Uh, well, do you so, think that yeah. that's and, the and, question and, is and, 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 if ben, and Ben Shine, of all people, Ben Shine, of all people, who's well-versed in the art of collusion, think about some of the, you know, some of the places he's, 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 he's stuck his neck. Well, his look, well, you I'd know. be very surprised if... This was the thing that he felt like needed to be investigated in terms of rugby league collusion. I well, mean, mate, maybe you come that's... down. You come down the last shower, Ben. Oh, I think it's a bit harsh to get stuck into a listener like that. But um, we, uh, I guess. you know, uh, bugger it. No, 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 we we appreciate. And next time, all if you have a question, we appreciate a listener. If you have a question there. for the show, Ben, submit it to the show, especially well, around kicking. Well, I just, I, I just uh, respond to that quickly and just say, if you're ever. Want to contact me directly for, for questions <laughs> uh, about the show? Feel free, get in touch. Uh, DMs are open and all that sort of business. Uh, love to talk to you about kicking jewels or anything else. So thanks for getting in touch, Benny. That's about all we've got time for on the Hill, ladies and gentlemen. If you are worried about our relationship, um, Tim, Tim's and mine, especially my um, generally belligerent manner towards him, well, you know, don't make me break the fourth wall, but we're great mates and... We're just having a, having a drink while we're doing it. Cheers.